welcome to the Resident Advisor Critics Roundtable. Today we're going to be talking about some of our favourite tracks, albums, live shows and dance floor moments of the past few months. My name's Aaron Coultate, I'm RA's Editor-in-Chief and I'm here with an all-star cast. We have Andrew Rice, our North American Editor, visiting us from LA. Hi Andrew. Hello. Uh, I have a list here titled, Things Andrew Has Been Doing in London, Drinking Natural Wine at Brilliant Corners, Tick, School Night Partying at Dawson Superstore, Tick, uh, and complaining bitterly about weak IPAs, uh, also tick. Care to expand on that last one? Was that a pun? IPAs should be 5% or more. And these pubs have IPAs that are like 3.5%. It's not, it's not a that, real beer. That for you is a session ale, I guess. Yes, it's not a true IPA. Um, have you found one that sort of uh, slakes your thirst while no, you're here? not yet. No, okay. Um, well, we'll keep trying. I'm also delighted to be joined by Kiana Mickles. Hey. <laughs> Our New York staff writer. Uh, for her first ever Critics Roundtable. Hi, Kiana. Hey, what's up? <laughs> How are you finding London so far? It's been cool, yeah. Went to Unit B1 this past weekend and just been hanging out <laughs> pretty much since. Excellent. Uh, and last but by no means least, I have Marissa Seaton here, uh, our esteemed news editor, taking some time out of the frying pan that is the RA news desk to jump into the Critics Roundtable fire. Hi, Marissa. Am I like an egg in this scenario? Absolutely. On the frying pan. Yeah. That's cool. I'm okay with that. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Uh, <laughs> let's start by talking about some of our favorite tracks from the summer. Marissa, when I asked you to consider some things you'd like to talk about today, you said India Jordan, India Jordan, and more India Jordan. So let's start by asking you about India Jordan. Uh, you selected the Don't Stop My Love EP. This was such a feel-good record, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. Uh, there's a bit of MK in those chopped up vocals, a bit of Todd Edwards in there. I guess what were your highlights from this record? And uh, yeah. How did you sort of first come across it? Um, I came across it on Twitter where like a really short clip was floating around and then I just DM'd India, who I had not really been in contact with before, being like, can you please send me the full song? I need to hear it right now. That was the Don't Stop My Love track that Vocal Action first put out and then fell in love ever since. It's Yeah, I think that for me is definitely the standout tune from, from the EP. I read an interview with her where she said uh, she hadn't worked with vocals, made an edit or chopped them up in that way before, uh, which is pretty remarkable. Wild. I love chopped vocals. And I think Local Action, uh, the label this came out on, uh, it's one of those consistent outlets uh, that maybe doesn't get enough credit it deserves. Andrew, I know you're a fan. I am. Um, I may be a bit biased because Tom Lee is the first person who ever gave me a professional writing job. I'm very close with him. But yeah, it's a great label. It's um, it feels very London specific. So a lot of the stuff that seems like big in in the UK, like Finn or even India Jordan, wasn't necessarily as big elsewhere. But I think the label was more understood now, and they've been getting more like a worldwide worldwide hits in terms of like small dance music hits. Yeah, that you, sorry, that Finn EP that came out like I guess a month after India, like the two of them, I've just yeah. had back to back pretty much all summer. Yeah, the, the Finn stuff has really been amazing, and I feel like it's connecting with people more in the US now. Do you feel that the Dawn Richard uh, records have helped sort of expand? Yeah, definitely. They kind of gave the label a remit outside of dance music, you know. Yeah, and all of the songs sort of have their own space that they just build. Um, but the last two, definitely, you can hear her ambient beginning. She was like run ambient rooms and I think released a compilation within the last year on that label. Um, so it's just really nice to hear after you have like two really party starting tracks um, to kick off the EP. So it's just like a really strong all around like first ever EP under 
India Jordan. And which track would you like to uh, listen to today? I'd like to hear through Lacuna. It's nice and floaty and good times all around. You've gone for um, GABA Modus Operandi, um, their record, uh, Hoxia, don't know if I'm actually pronouncing that right, uh, which came out on the Shanghai label uh, Subcult. This duo seems to be doing something that, uh, if not fully unique, is very damn close. Um, could you tell us who they are and what kind of music they make? They're a duo from Indonesia and they make up-tempo club music that is influenced by GABA and there are some like GABA moments, but it's more of just like a catch-all term for like fast drums. They make really intense uh, kick drum heavy music with Indonesian instruments and specifically like a type of Indonesian folk and a type of Ind Indonesian ritualistic like trance music, which involves a lot of like droning notes and screaming. So it's kind of this weird mix of like this Indonesian traditional music, gabber influenced dance music and like really abrasive instrumentation. The, the track that I picked which is called uh, semiton, ten ton. It it features like these like rolling drums that come in and like short blasts, and then these crazy horns that sound kind of like like they're they're like decaying and detuned, but really really like explosive. And uh, my friend said uh, that it sounded like an anxiety attack to her. When it's kind of, it's kind of like my shit. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I just like you know, gabber is kind of a it's a big buzzword right now. Everyone's playing uh, high energy techno. A lot of techno producers are ending their sets with gabber. But here's an act that's taking the idea of gabber and, and doing something completely unique because it doesn't sound like other club music. Uh, it, it takes from their their musical culture and background in a way that feels uh, special and genuine. And like there's just no music that sounds like it. I'd like to ask you about what this duo is like live. Uh, you saw them at CTM in Berlin uh, at the start of this year. I noticed they were on the bill at Bergheim just before uh, the Singeli artists MC Zoe and Duque. 
I remember looking back at that programming and thinking it was really cool. Um, what was that show like? I wasn't too familiar with them back then in February, actually, to be honest. And um, it was just really hectic. Like I went down there and it, it didn't sound like, like what I expected from Gabber, but it was really fast and super like like hectic and I just felt really overwhelmed I remember looking like getting my phone looking at the schedule and seeing this name with Gabbard and I was like oh like um but it, it was memorable like it stuck with me and so when I got their records after I was like oh like, this is a really cool act and then I realized they're from Indonesia and everything that goes into their music and I was just like blown away I think that that EP that came out on Subcult is like one of the best records of the year for sure uh Subcult also just released a nice collab record featuring the Kenyan artist Slipback. Uh, it feels like it's definitely a label to watch. Yeah, Subcult started out mostly releasing uh, club music from Asia, like like the grime-influenced experimental club music scene, but they've the last the last year they, everything has been essential. And it's still Asia-focused, but yeah, like having Slipback collab with them is a good example of, of the A&R. It's just an amazing label right now. Kiana, you've picked uh, Layla Samir's No Music. Thanks for turning me on to this record. It's really excellent. How did Layla's music come onto your radar? Yeah, just like typical SoundCloud digging. I initially found it on DJ Mag's page. Um, they shared her song Anxiety. And yeah, I think I was just like instantly drawn to like how dark it was. Um, but with, with all of the drum patterns, it just was also very dense but danceable the percussions yeah really excellent yeah. i um i really like the track beginnings uh mm. i saw andrew weatherall played that on his entius show a little while back uh so she's got some approval from the old guard I'm going to talk about Shaka's uh, Kizlochi Forever and specifically the track Kizlochi People, uh, which is my summer anthem, quite possibly my favourite techno tune of 2019. For those who haven't heard it, the track features uh, sampled Russian pop lyrics um, over a 145 plus kick. It was recorded by uh, Shaka during a residency at the Kizlochi Complex in St. Petersburg. Um, Kizlochi was a very well-respected club that closed earlier this year. Um, so this record is kind of a tribute. And what I like about it is it's a, a meeting of two of Europe's most vibrant techno communities, uh, namely Copenhagen and St. Petersburg. Uh, and it got me thinking about a very old uh, Code 9 tweet along the lines of uh, why are there not more vocals in techno? And that tweet is many years old, uh, but it still pops back into my head um, every now and then when I hear a track like this. Andrew, you reviewed this one um, and we gave it a RA Recommend stamp. Uh, what did you find uh, most appealing about it? I think in a world where Tech, uh, sorry, in a scene where techno is getting harder and harder and harder and more brutal, 
here's like a lighthearted version of it. It's still fast, it's heavy, but it has a fun vocal. It's, it's a fun track, it has a positive mood instead of just being like bleak and dark. And I think it's really interesting too because even though it might seem silly to sample a Russian pop song, it's kind of an interesting interaction during a residency in Russia because Russia and the Russian-speaking world has such a crazy level of like dance music pop that's different from EDM. It's more like what we would consider dance music with like really bad vocals on top. And so for him to interact with that is like really cool. I think it's like making good use of a residency at somewhere um, because there is this tradition of, of super dancey, housey Russian pop and he found a way to incorporate that in a way that really connected with everyone, apparently. So now it's time to talk about some of our favourite albums of the summer. Andrew, you picked the Coil reissue, The Gay Man's Guide to Safer Sex, uh, which is an extraordinary record. For people that are maybe new to Coil, haven't heard of them before, could you describe uh, their legacy in three words? <laughs> I, well, we can, I, just, I, have, I have it on the tip of my tongue. Um, okay, I got it. I got it. Fucked gay electronics. Uh, that is that is brilliant. Um, so someone on YouTube uh, said the title track to this record sounds a bit like Enigma, um, and I was really confused because the commenter seemed to be suggesting that was a bad thing. You reviewed this record on RA. Um, tell us a bit why you've selected it. Um, it was I've been a Coil fan for a long time um, since I was a teenager, and it was a track that I forgot about because Coil's discography is very messy. Um, they, they did all sorts of film soundtracks and like really limited releases and there's always compilations and the, this uh, theme from The Game Man's Guide to Safer Sex has kind of always been under the radar. Um, and so when I when I saw the reissue, I got excited and then I, I heard it and I was like, like holy shit, like I forgot about this track and it just, it just sounds really fresh. Coil has three phases. They have their first phase, which is kind of like dark synth pop and industrial. Their second phase, which is around this time, which is more like UK style acid house, really psychedelic dance music. And then the third phase, which is New Agey Drone with Drew McDowell. And so this is kind of perfectly in the middle between the number two and number three, where it's kind of like chugging house with like really New Agey synths and nice vocals. And, um, you know, it's interesting because I, I thought this track just sounds like porn music, but acid house style. And it soundtracks an educational film that was actually very important, especially in the UK, because it was one of the first films to educate gay men on how to have sex and presenting gay sex as normal. Like I, the film is, I feel like if you're, if you're a gay man who knows the history, it's quite emotional because of how normalized everything is. But they talk about fetish sex and like, you know, all the things you can do with, with, with a condom still. And it's not demonizing sex or even promiscuity. And it's just, it's a very powerful film. And the fact that they had Coil, who were some of the most like active musicians in gay subculture to soundtrack it, it's like perfect. And Coil's relationship with, I guess, nightclub culture is an interesting one. Um, I guess my favourite uh, moment hearing Coil on the dance floor was when Vladimir Ivkovich played uh, Going Up 
as the last track of the night. Um, have you heard Coil in the club? Um, I've only heard the reissue track this summer, sadly. I, I've never seen Vladimir in person, so I've, I've been deprived of Dantzler Coil for most of my life. So you've also gone for a reissue. Uh, Mother Earth's Plantasia by Mort Garson. The premise of this record is a pretty fascinating one. Um, can you explain it to us? Yeah, I'd love to. Underneath the title on the cover, it says, Warm Earth Music for Plants and the People Who Love Them. And I was like, great, that's me. Um, sold. And I had heard of this before it was reissued by Sacred Bones this year, but I kind of stayed away from it because I don't like when records are really expensive on Discogs or whatever. So. It was really nice to finally listen to it this summer. Oh, so Mother Earth was this plant boutique in LA in the 70s, and they had this promotion, like buy a plant, go home with a free record, and this was that record. And the shop owners wrote in this book called Mother Earth's Hassle-Free Indoor Plant Book, which I would really like to get my hands on. Um, it's, they wrote, it has been written, music soothes the savage breast. It also helps gentle little plants grow. So of course I'm gonna love this. I guess my question is for you, uh, does it help gentle little plants grow? Have you tried it out? Um, well, I've been playing it a lot at home and I've been taking a lot of cuttings from my various walks around London and some of them have sprouted roots and I have planted them and it's very satisfying. I really like how silly this record is because a lot of music, ambient music can be like really serious and like sad and it just it's very long, whereas here you have songs that like have track titles called Symphony for a Spider Plant and, and You Don't Have to Walk a Begonia, which is probably the cutest song on the record.
And the, the download card that came with the vinyl was um, has some wildflower seeds in it, is that right? Yeah, I thought that was a really nice touch. A really great job by Sacred Bones on that one. I can't wait to plant them next spring. Well, the question I'd like to ask everyone here uh, is what other records would you recommend to make your plants grow? I would have to recommend the album 1000 Gex by 100 Gex. It's, it, it fills me with life, so surely it would fill plants with life. <laughs> what about you, Kiana? Um, um, I really liked Avernian and Strick Hairline Fracture EP. I really enjoyed um, Smoking Gun specifically, which is just like, has like super buoyant drums and like acid-like synths that sound like they're just like shooting at you. <laughs> and I don't know, I just like have been listening to it pretty much like for the past couple of weeks, just feeling like I'm walking through a metallic jungle. It's great. And here's me thinking <laughs> that plants only liked ambient music. It's very, that's very narrow-minded of me, I think. How about some ambient house? Yeah, ambient house, totally. <laughs> yeah, this, um, I've been listening a lot to this Prism record, which is like one of those Japanese reissues from the past few years, um, Metronome Melody, which was originally out on 1995 in Sublime Records, which originally released it, repressed it again. And it's just really lovely. And my dog also likes it too. Ah, uh, shouts to Norm. Yes. Um, I guess uh, Brian Eno is another green world. It's an obvious one. Um, I'd also say Hiroshi Yoshimura's Erin Resort, uh, the A-side. I think the bird noises and running water would uh, trick my plants into thinking they're in a lush forest and not a poorly ventilated flat in East London. And there's also a hieroglyphic being record from a few, a few years back called The Garden of Forking Paths. Uh, came out on a Belgian label called Audiomer. And it's this really gnarly psychedelic synth record um, and it has very trippy artwork that kind of evokes the sun shining on some plants. So those are my, my selections. Kiana, your album pick is very much repping your hometown. It's Moma Ready, the NYC Dance Project. Uh, it's a very fun album. Uh, those first choice samples uh, somehow still feel fresh. Yeah, tell me a bit about how you came about that record and what your favourite tracks are. So yeah, I originally found uh, the album on SoundCloud, I uh, saw, saw two songs from the album and I was like, I have to look th through the whole thing, um, went on Bandcamp and it's really cool. Um, it's basically an homage to House. It isn't super different from his previous works, um, but it's still very nostalgic because it incorporates a lot of old school house classics and also um, some R&B edits from the early 2000s. So you have like Amarion on there and also Mary J. Blige, which is really cool. There are three songs like this version may save lives, this version may heal, this version may go off that are all sampling the like all time classic house track, Let No Man Put Us Under. Andrew, I know you're a fan of this record as well. Yes, indeed. <laughs> I mean, it wears its influences very proudly on its sleeve. And I guess there's the Mom there's Moma Ready and there's also the Ace Moma uh, collaboration. So it feels like it's quite an exciting little... Um... Yeah, there's, a, there's a, a, a good crop of younger producers in New York who um, are doing things that feel very much 
in line with classic house music, but it feels very energetic and fresh. And like Ace Moma, for example, has some like old jungle throwback tracks as well, but everything just sounds so like, yeah, I keep, I keep coming back to the word fresh. And even when writing about Moma Ready, which I've done a few times now, like I keep going back to the word fresh because everything is like crisp and young and energetic. And like, yeah, he samples first choice, which is like for most producers at this point would be like a joke because it's so overused, but somehow he makes it sound convincing. Like, and he really taps into the, the joyous like frenzy of original house music and also like early gospel house music. I think there's a really infectious energy to his music. So there's also Ace Mo and there's a track where they at, which um, in your review said, if you what if you haven't heard it out, have you really been out this summer? I mean, it's everywhere. I, I heard it at Panorama Bar. I've heard it at warehouse parties in LA. I've heard it in New York. I've heard it at a house party where my partner said to me, "Can you put that song on where they name all the girls?" When I knew exactly <laughs> what he was talking about. That's a very good sign. Um, and what track would you like us to play, Kiana? This version may go off. It does go off. It does. the Barker album, Utility, which came out on Oscar Ton. Uh, Sam Barker's current wave of releases sort of began with last year's Debiasing EP, uh, a techno record with no kick drums. And on Utility, he kind of continues to pursue that concept. Um, it's a really varied album, but also aesthetically very crisp and tight. And Barker's Fact Mix was a very nice companion piece. I guess if there was another artist I was thinking about when I was listening to this album, uh, it was actually Terence Dixon, techno artist who's never really um, been overly reliant on kick drums. Um, and there's one track of his called Fountain of Life, which was on a Tressor album uh, from a few years back uh, that I absolutely adore. And I found myself thinking about it when I was listening to the opening track on Utility, uh, which is called Paradise Engineering. Um, so let's have a quick listen to Paradise Engineering now.
So now we're going to talk about some of our favorite uh, live shows, dance floor moments, etc., of the summer. And Kiana, I want to start with you. You want to talk about the Melting Point Party in New York. It's a party I've been hearing a lot of good things about. Um, so what is this party and what makes it special? Word. Melting Point NYC is um, a punk-leaning, party-organizing, and activist collective. And they've um, enlisted some of New York's most influential underground DJs and artists in order to combat ICE. And so, yeah, all proceeds from their tickets are used to fundraise for the nonprofit organization, Olotrilado, um, and the org provides direct legal services for deportees and migrants in Tijuana. And so, yeah, I went to their one-year anniversary like a week or two ago, um, and it was really cool. Um, it was done in the Market Hotel, um, so that's like a really cool multi-room venue. So you would have like really like caustic noise and one room and then like techno slash reggaeton in another room. Um, and yeah, so I listened to a set by Rio Bamba and I like ended up having to leave midway because I, <laughs> I was like cramping. <laughs> from dancing so much and then I was like oh wait I haven't eaten <laughs> like... so you mentioned before that you you can't think of a single party that you went to this summer uh, that wasn't oriented around a specific cause or platform or marginalized group yeah um, and it feels like that is definitely a global trend now but uh, New York especially has I guess a really healthy infrastructure of collectives and venues um, that are really pushing this forward yeah, yeah, I think we like did a recent exchange that was talking a lot about this. Um, like here you have Pussy Palace, um, and that's like all about like supporting um, black and brown DJs and artists. In New York, um, we have parties like Half Moon, which is really just about getting black and brown folks on radio and out in the clubs. Um, and then you have Disc Cakes, which is like a queer-oriented, um, trans POC-oriented um, party that happens. And yeah, I think it's just like part of a mission to recenter voices that have previously been, I guess, like silenced or um, neglected in the scene. Yeah, and then like with Melting Point about like we can party and like also do it ethically and you know think about the world and some of the social imbalances impacting our communities. I mean just a couple of weeks ago we ran a really great podcast um, from Cashew who runs the uh, Mamba Negra Night in Sao Paulo which I think is another great example and Andrew I guess your choice of event that you'd like to talk about also fits into this, you know, quite broadly, um, and that's Honcho Campout. Yeah, the Honcho Campout, um, it's a, a gay camping festival centered around dance music, but this year there was a huge increase in queer people, so not just gay men, but trans people, non-binary non people, lots of women, 
Um, so it felt a lot different, a lot more inclusive this year. And um, one of the after hour stages, which ran from midnight to 9 a.m., was curated by In Training, which is a queer crew uh, originally from Ohio. Now they're spread across Ohio and Pennsylvania. The main DJs are Kieran Laveau, Father of Two, Adab, and MX Silkman. And they had DJed previously, so they 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 had DJed the year before, so they just curated the stage. But it was uh, they had people like CCL, Davis Galvin, uh, Farplane from Chicago, and and physical therapy. And the atmosphere at the stage was like nothing I've ever experienced before. It was maybe like 50 people. The music tended to be very non-linear, like physical therapy was playing breakbeat tracks and into pop tracks and lots of crazy blends and acapellas. CCL played like a Kate, uh, Kate Bush extended mixer running up that hill at like 7 a.m. and everyone was hugging each other and crying. And it's like every time there was a new track, people would be cheering and screaming. And it was like the, being in someone's living room, basically. It was really like loose, fun atmosphere. And almost everyone playing was non-binary, which I thought was interesting. Um, and it really it really did have an unusual energy. And most of the crowd was non-binary. And this was like, this was, this was a stage for the queer kids. And it just, the energy was unbelievable. Like, I... I tend to like roll my eyes when people talk about this kind of thing, like, oh my God, the dance floor is amazing, but this felt like something very special and unusual. And I just think it's like proof of this like newer wave, even uh, like there's Honcho, but there's in training and, and then all the kids they're bringing up. And it's like this newer wave of, of people who are focused more on queer identity than gay identity. And like the music that goes with it is unbelievable very open-minded do you think that evolution or progression has some is is kind of like part of a wider trend yeah i think so i think um i think a lot of you know there's an older generation of gay men who only want to be around other gay men but i think people especially in the music scene are realizing that all the issues that gay men face are faced uh worse by people who are more marginalized and it's worth including them and everyone's happier if everyone's part of the same the same struggle and the same collective experience so it feels much more, uh, I don't want to say wholesome, but maybe much more whole. My selection is Hate Rock's live show at Fold, um, which took place on September 6th. Um, Fold is a nightclub uh, in East London, uh, and the event was hosted by NTS Radio. So Hate Rock's a band that I've been captivated by for some time now, and it was great to see them perform live. Uh, they're from Australia, uh, and they make music that's kind of informed by things like post-punk and dub, but it's not really any of those things. It's very spacious and elegant. And I was unsure how they would sound in a nightclub context. They've played in clubs before, including in London, where they played in Corsica Studios many moons ago, and that recording was um, published to vinyl a couple of years back. But yeah, they sounded great. And it's a duo, Janine and Nigel, and they were kind of silhouetted against the uh, shutters that let some light in, in uh, um, at fold. So with that and sort of smoke machine, like smoke curling through the air, um, set really great atmosphere. And they played mostly tracks from the, their new album, uh, Venus and Leo, um, as well as a couple of old classics, which is really nice. Andrew, you're a fan of Hate Rock, am I yeah. right in saying that? Yes. Have you seen them perform live before? I haven't. Uh, but they're kind of like the platonic ideal of this like dark post-punky band. Like I, the best time to listen to them for me is like walking on the street at nighttime, like with the headphones, because the atmosphere is just amazing. Like, I feel like it's, like, weird to listen to them in daylight. Yeah, I think that's correct. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they definitely are. They have cultivated very much, like, an after-dark kind of aesthetic. Very, yeah, very moody. And I, I love uh, CS and Cream for the same reason, which is a related group, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, this very nocturnal, like, slow drip kind of feeling with, like, it's atmospheric and reverby, but, like, not too much. Yeah, and Conrad from CS, um, yeah, definitely makes really great music. And that record that came out on Trilogy Tapes not too long ago was definitely um, super nice. Which you played at Brilliant Corners. 
I did indeed. <laughs> While well, I drink natural wine. Exactly. <laughs> um, it's all coming full circle, isn't it? Nice. Marissa, you went to Nui Sonor back in June. I did. Feels like a long time ago now. Yeah, it really does. Nui Sonor takes place in Lyon, uh, in France. It's a beautiful city. Tell us a bit about your experience there. It's the culinary capital of France. Uh, what did you eat? Oh boy. Um, well, when I wasn't at the festival, I went to a meal one night that was sort of like a Japanese-French fusion, but not in a cringy way. Like, it was a really delicious meal. And you can tell it was delicious because I didn't even, like, take a photo of it to, like, send to out to be like, look at this incredible meal I'm eating. And then on the weekend, I, like, had the classic French bistro thing that was also super delicious. So it was nice to get the, like, two sides of what Leon has to offer. Fantastic. Talking about two sides, um, <laughs> you've got two selections, um, <laughs> Peggy Goose set and the uh, Willikens Ivkovich back to back. Um, so let's start with Peggy. Um, I'm guessing that was a pretty hyped crowd. Oh yeah, like it was so contagious is the word. Like um, the main hall of Nuit Summer's daytime venue is just probably one of the nice the most well done big spaces you could probably go to for a big festival like that. And the booths in the middle of the floor around the side is a balcony. So sometimes you'll see like other artists poking their heads out, seeing what's going on, which was really cool. Like I saw Marie Davidson um, earlier that day, which was nice. She was very chic. And um, the, they also have lights going around that are just kind of like straight lines. It's, it's very chic. Like I know it's kind of, tired to tie French aesthetics to chicness, but like, I mean, they're doing it. So yeah, like I was just really blown away by that main room and she had it buzzing. Um, my friend had left that day um, a little bit early because we had a long week ahead and I was like, cool, I'll hang around. I'll see how much of this set before I head out to And I just ended up getting stuck in for like the full hour and a half, two hours. And it was just, so fun. She kind of journeyed through Acid and like threw in some hip hop and then she played a track from her newest EP, Starry Night, um, I think it was Handpan. And then, yeah, she ended on an Aphex track and people were just like, kind of like, whoa, what did we just do? Um, so she's like, like, it just, like, you could feel the like star power in that room and it's like, if you weren't convinced before, like it's completely obvious why she's one of like the most sought-after names on the festival circuit. Well, did you see uh, many people wearing um, "Have a Goo Time"? Oh yeah, shirts I, or yeah, yeah, yeah. I was pretty jealous. I uh, <laughs> they look really nice because you know they're made by Nike, and you. I was sort of in the back on the fringes, and then as people were moving out from the center, like totally sweaty, they were like, still had the just goo it or whatever shirt she was handing out during her set. So I wish I had worn my way up a little bit for one. Uh, nice. Um, and the other selection was um, Vladimir Ivkovich and Lena Willikens um, back to back. So paint us a picture. When did this set happen um, in the context of the festival and, and what was it like? Right. So um, like Peggy, Lena's one of the daytime curators that they have for their four days at the um, La Sucari, which is along the river in the, um, I think they call it like the fake peninsula um, in the center of the city. And so Peggy happened at the end of the day, whereas Vlad and Lena sort of started early on in the main room. It wasn't that full yet, cause you know, like not everyone's there when doors open. And 
they kind of really took advantage of that and it worked like it didn't feel misplaced or like they were playing at the wrong time they sort of just like took their time as they do and they built up the energy and then sure enough like the room had filled out by the time uh the set was over um and i was really sad to see it because <laughs> i was like i felt like i really got into it everyone was sort of dancing like at a respectable distance from each other like everyone really had a lot of like time Everyone had a lot of space to like move while they're like playing their classic slow chuggers. It was really banging, but it was also kind of like spacey and it felt like you're kind of moving, walking through a pool almost, which was a funny sensation. Well, they posted this mix on SoundCloud not that long ago. Yeah. So I've had the chance to listen back to it and it's, yeah, it's fantastic. Like, yeah, um, I keep going back to it and it's still, I can feel myself in the room, but also then it suits the context of whatever I'm doing too, which is kind of, how does that happen? Yeah, I mean, it's really textbook, um, Vladimir and Lena, very slow and atmospheric. Um, and I think you can see when they DJ together what um, an amazing rapport they have as friends. Uh, you really get a sense of that when oh, they're totally. playing, sort of, you know, smiling, um, chain smoking together, yeah. <laughs> um, working through this, like, yeah, these crates of amazing records. I mean, yeah, I feel like a, a, a typical um, Vlad and Lena set will have, you know, obviously a, a fair share of tracks that are maybe played at the wrong speed. Um, I remember when I interviewed Vladimir for Art of DJing feature, he referred to the galaxies that open up when you play something from 45 at 33. Um, and I just love the way he described that. Um, <laughs> and they, I feel like they draw on a lot of like classic UK stuff, um, warp and reflex. Um, sort of IDM records um, and I think there's also a wave of, of newer of contemporary artists who are making music that is really slow and fits into their kind of sets. Um, Lurker is one example. Um, I think uh, the stuff that he's making is like really primed for these kind of like slow chuggy sets um, that still have an energy to them. Yeah yeah it wasn't when I had heard about their standard um, feel for their sets. I was kind of skeptical. I'm like, I don't know how this will work in the daytime, but yeah, I was like totally on board. I have a friend who's obsessed with uh, Vladimir Ivkovich. I uh, lives in New York and has never seen him before and saw him last night for the first time oh, wow. and felt the need to buy sunglasses to wear to the show. Like he bought sunglasses specifically to wear to see Vladimir Ivkovich a good room. So I think that says it all. Yeah, that's totally their vibe. Like behind the decks, they're kind of just like swaying and they're smoking and then they're just like kind of like smirking to themselves. And then the, oh wow, yeah, he, he really fits the bill. Um, there was one point at the end of the set where they were about to hand over to Donato Dazi, but something wasn't quite right, I think, with Dazi's decks. Um, and so the only time when you could see them maybe slightly I wouldn't even call it losing their cool, but close, um, was when I think they probably had to play another track or what I assumed was happening. And Lena kind of, once they she had mixed in, she looked at Vlad and kind of like wiped, like pretended to wipe her eyebrow and then they hugged and it was really sweet. It was nice to like, catch that 